Happy New Year, and welcome back to Hooing Company. It's episode 60 and the start of series 6. I'm Brent. And I'm Drew. As has been our tradition since day one, our January episode is a look at the newest Missing Who episode to get the animated treatment. This year, we are going all the way back to 1967 for Patrick Troughton's seven-parter, The Evil of the Daleks. Dun-dun. And because watching Doctor Who is more fun with friends, we're joined by James and Michelle from the Doctor Who podcast to see what they have to say about this classic story. And all that's coming up right after this. Oh, now what is it? Oh, we're on the roundabout. They're playing roundabout. Oh, I'm getting dizzy. Oh, dear. Oh, 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 oh I'm dizzy. Oh, 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 I'm dizzy. Dizzy, dizzy. Dizzy Doctor! Vegetable, do you hear that? They've got a sense of humor! I'm glad you are so easily amused. (laughs) Well, I congratulate you, Doctor. They are almost human. They are! And I will now leave you to your little games. (laughs) Happy New Year! Every year around this time, we invite our co-hosts from the DWP to come on and talk about the most recent animated feature. This time it's the evil of the Daleks, and joining us are none other than... Michelle and James, welcome back to Who and Company. Hey, it's great to be back at Who and Company. I feel like you needed a little bit of a pause after saying Evil the Daleks. We could have got a dun dun dun. dun, dun. dun. (laughs) And then when you say James's name, dun dun dun. Well, that was entirely down to you, Drew. And uh, if listeners understand that reference, then clearly you listen to the DWP as well. So that's wonderful. Yeah, that was very funny. I was listening to that in the car the other day. and (laughs) Yeah, no idea that was coming. Came in, laughed out loud, happened again, laughed out loud twice. It's my my way of checking uh, that um, other hosts of the DWP listen to my edits. It's like you're a writer, you know? It's like, this is how we find out whether or not you're actually participating and paying attention to the script. Uh, Well, as we have been doing for the last... Enter Ed Sai here two years. Uh, let's start off with just checking to see how everyone is doing with, I don't know if we call it lockdown, but let's just, how's your global pandemic? Uh, <laughs> Brent, how's your global pandemic? Well, uh, my little niece's ninth birthday was yesterday, and earlier this week she tested positive for COVID, and she was sick for three or four days, and um, she's much better now. She had... Uh, really bad fever of uh, 103, um, but she's much better now, so that's good. Michelle, global pandemic? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, you know, I think we're in a much better situation than we were a year ago, um, and even though Omicron is uh, blazing away, and I certainly, as probably most people know, know many people who have had it, um, thankfully it's a less severe illness, it seems to be, for the majority of people. Um, most of us <laughs> Most of us are vaccinated. Some of us are boosted, and and that seems to we just have so much more freedom, even though it's not pre-pandemic normal than we had a year ago um, when when vaccines were just beginning to roll out. And so, um, yeah, it's been it's been I think on that side a better year than the year before, and looking forward to the months ahead. Gotcha. Yeah, I had a my first small gathering in two years of, of people who were all vaccinated, all boosted. We had a registered nurse, everyone. We, we kind of did some social distancing, but it was just the first time in two years anyone has been in my home other than my wife and I. And um, it was lovely. And it's, mm-hmm. it's uh, yeah. So, James, how about you? Global pandemic? It, it's been different. Uh, I, I remember when you asked this question last year, Brent said, yep, I've had it. It was horrible, um, but I'm gradually working my way through it. And uh, that, to me, at the time, sounded awful. Um, And now I'm in exactly the same position. Uh, Having just been (sighs) infected, if that's the right word, I tested positive on Christmas Day, and I had quite a rough time. Um, It was, mm, I would say, 90% of the symptoms were in line with a heavy cold, um, but uh, the other, the other percentage, has left me feeling with practically you know no energy at all, very lethargic. Um, but uh, I, I've now got to the point where I, I can say I'm 
I'm much improved and I've started to think about the additional immunity that having had it is giving me. So for the next couple of months, I intend to go up and make up for all of the uh, the lack of socialising um, that I've, I've done uh, for the last year and a half or so. Uh, so I'm probably going to go the other way now. Um, but that's, um, that's how things are from a personal perspective. Uh, from a slightly wider perspective, then... I think the political landscape is really um, developing or has developed in the UK uh, where it's no longer politically appealing uh, to consider any kind of restrictions whatsoever. So the the line appears to be, let's just pretend it doesn't really exist anymore. Shops are open, hospitality is fully open, public transport's heaving again. Yes, there's mask wearing and yes, people give each other extremely... Um, disapproving looks um, on the tube if other riders choose not to wear a mask. Um, so it, it, it's a weird situation um, and I'm disappointed that we're having to speak about this for the, for the second year running. Uh, but I guess this is something that is going to be here um, with us all now globally for a very long time to come. But uh, but personally, I'm I'm okay. How about you, Drew? <laughs> I'm doing all right. Uh, quite excited to talk about Doctor Who. It's been a little while since uh, mm. we have gathered. Almost been I don't know a week. Uh, so <laughs> has it been a week? Two weeks? Uh, yeah. But this is new. Not new Who, but this is new to me Who. So uh, I'm excited for this episode. We got a couple of other things we want to cover first before we get to that because. Uh, you know, as we do, we talk about animated series uh, every January. We have for, gosh, this is going to be, what, season six? This is episode one of season six. So this is our sixth animated series. Uh, of course, we will be talking about Evil the Daleks, but before we get to Evil the Daleks, a, there's a newer animation that has come out, uh, and two of you, at least, have gotten hold of it. I know, Brent, you wanted to talk about that real briefly. Yeah, it's not out in the U.S. yet, but... Um... I got a Region 2 copy of Galaxy 4, and it seems to be uh, two different animation teams that are doing I think one is Anne-Marie Walsh, and the other is Gary Russell. This is one of the Gary Russell ones, and uh, James, you went to the BFI and saw this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it was quite a while ago now, or it feels like quite a while ago, but LBC, as I call it, Life Before COVID, it feels like a very, very long time ago, uh, but yeah, I, I went with... Adam, I think, from the Staggering Stories podcast, and we, we sat through four episodes of uh, a quite beautiful version of, of Galaxy 4, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in there that, because um, I've seen the um, reconstruction a few times, and then we got episode three back a few years ago. Um, it's just really, there's a lot of dead air, like just... And then a lot of booping and beeping from the little chumleys. And <laughs> and you're like, wow, this is a very boring listen. But now mm. that you have animation, you can see what they're doing. You see people moving around. It's it's actually a lot more interesting than it was. I, I completely agree. It's the first animation where the source material has been vastly improved by the fact that most of it's missing. But, um, but certainly, I think it looks great. Um, you mentioned the fact that there's two different teams now animating. They may even be more than that, to be honest with you. And each team's techniques develop over time anyway, because their teams change and they bring new people in for each uh, each release. But this one, it mm. just looks great. And, and the BFI, I mean, Michelle's been there, uh, and mm. I, it feels like a second home to me. It, it's basically a fairly posh cinema. It's a small mm. cinema. Uh, but the screen itself is wonderful. And during COVID or during the pandemic, they've ripped everything out, put brand new technology in there. So it's even better than it mm. was, it has mm. to be said. And it just looked wonderful. The landscapes, the the colours that they used. Um, and it's, it just enhances what is probably the most dull story uh, in the Hartnell era, uh, <laughs> apart from the web planet. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I've just started reading the Target novelization, Doctor Who and the Zarbi. So I'm going to see how how the web planet translates into text. (laughs) 
It may be pretty good in a book. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you, as as a uh, Web Planet defender, I like the uh, Web. I yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I <laughs> I think the Web Planet definitely, like all Doctor Who, uh, especially the classic era, early classic era, benefits by not watching it all in one sitting. Um, Amen. But boy, I'm still telling you, if if, if there was a way to do a a theater presentation of the Web Planet. Uh, <laughs> I think that would be amazing. Like oh. that's, I think, the way to watch the Web Planet. Uh, anyway, with Sondheim st- songs and everything included. <laughs> Web Planet, the musical. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I think I've mentioned before that I'm not necessarily a musical person per se. But uh, if any story in Doctor Who was going to be a musical, I think the Web Planet would be perfect for it. Um, <laughs> Now, now I just want to get in touch with Eric Stadnick and go, <laughs> Web Planet the Musical, Sondheim style, go, and see what he comes up with. Um, Michelle, you said that you're reading the, the Zarbi. I I recently completed my uh, target novelization collection, and the last holdout was Galaxy 4. Okay. So have you read I it? Have, no, no, I haven't. Um, I haven't read... A book when you words. say collection, you mean you are a target book owner, not target book I am a target reader? book owner. I ne- well, no, I'm, I've read them, but I just didn't have them all. And eventually yeah. what I wanted to do is own them all and then read them in chronological order. Okay. Uh, not Clearly not publication order. That wouldn't make any sense. Um, but now that I have them all, it's one of those things where it's like, do I want to start another podcast in which I, I read them all? <laughs> I'm sure someone has already done the... Um, <laughs> the the pilgrimage the target, via the target books yeah do, but, do you know um, recording podcasts about books is challenging i'm um, sure and, it and is we've, we've we've done that on the dwp um every now and again and michelle used to be an avid listener i'm not sure if it's still going but of the doctor who book club podcast yeah um, and the amount of preparation you have to do just to be able to you have to actually read rather James. than the story Re- yeah but reading is fine for me but I know. There, there are times when you know watching let me try and, and think of an animation um watching evil of the daleks as we'll soon find out for me is actually quite difficult um that feels like homework having to read a book of the web planet and then record a podcast about it i'll be so cross by the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to James, uh, books, uh, Doctor Who Books with James, where James just gets angrier and angrier. I mean, that, mileage, that twist on it um, could actually be quite amusing. No, I, yeah. I can't. I can't do another podcast. <laughs> no. I'm still Especially waiting for you to requires... launch your Muppets podcast that you promised. I didn't uh, promise. A while ago. I didn't promise. I said if I if I did it, who would be interested? Um, yeah, I, once and everyone I, you knew said me. Yes, I know. It really it really was one of those things where let's let's do it. And I was like, oh, now's a perfect time to start grad school. Uh, <laughs> well, if, so. if you ever decide uh, to launch it as as Kermit, I will be your Miss Piggy. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I do a better Piggy voice than I do Kermit, but that's for a different <laughs> podcast. Um, well, we must speak about Galaxy Four more often. <laughs> <laughs> Well, speaking of the animated series um, of releases, we have a recent rumor that BBC America is pulling their funding for the animated releases, and it's it's done for now after the Abominable Snowman comes out. That is heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, that is is heartbreaking, and I hope hope it gets picked up by some other entity. Uh, I feel like. I just started getting more excited about the animations, which is probably why they aren't making enough money, I would assume, to keep going at the moment, because people like me have kind of had them in the back of their mind and not actively pursued them. But as we got back into watching this uh, for this podcast, I was like, man, I got to get more serious about picking up the animations and watching all the animations. So I hope I haven't missed my opportunity. No, I was just going to say, at this point in time, Without confirmation from the entities that are actually producing the animations, it is just a rumor. Um, but it's a bummer of a rumor. Unlike things like the Omni rumor that that you know seem to be crawling all uh, p- popping up all the time. This is the first time, you know, it, it just kind of hit the feed. It spread like wildfire, 
wildflowers. It spread like <laughs> wildflowers. It's seasonal, but really pretty to look at. <laughs> I, I think the rumor had been mentioned just before the abominable snowman was announced. Mm. So this has been rumbling around for a while. As you say, it's not been confirmed, Drew, by anyone, any formal organization. And secondly, it's interesting to just observe fandom commenting on this, you know, assuming they understand the commercial model the BBC operate. And uh, you, you'd, um, yeah, absolutely, BBC America ploughed a whole load of money into this. Uh, for that is absolutely accurate. They did that for a particular reason. Uh, but it certainly wasn't totally independent from the way the BBC managed the entire Doctor Who franchise commercially. They do maintain a degree of oversight of all of the different products and they will have real clarity on where these income streams are. So if there is money to be made and the BBC can receive some of that money without doing very much themselves, I think it's extremely likely there will be someone else stepping into the breach. And the um, the rumour at the moment appears to be BritBox. Now, that's an offshoot, I think, of the BBC and ITV. They kind of collaborated uh, to produce this streaming service. Um, and if, if that's a possibility, then then great. But it would be very disappointing as a fan if it did come to an end, this range come to an end. And it would be even more disappointing for me if they continued to produce the animations, but if someone like BritBox funded, they decided not to produce any hard media. Uh, because I think that's probably where most of the money comes from, not from streaming services. Right. All right, I'm going to show my ignorance here. And this is one of the things that I, I probably should have done some research. Does anybody have a rough estimate on how many stories, not episodes, but stories that are missing are left like so are we do we have more or less than 20 after abominable snowman well i know if they do a wheel in space that'll complete an entire season there where they can do right. the blu-rays i think uh in season six only the space pirates is missing okay uh, i think it's mostly hartnell stuff if i'm not mistaken yeah yeah because yeah, they did they went real hard with trout and stuff and yeah. thankfully, I'm really happy about that. That's, um, I know that we don't have Marco Polo. We don't have um, Savages. Savages, um, yeah. We, we could go through the list here, but uh, sure. th there are far more Hartnell stories that are missing. Um, but in terms of episodes rather than stories, there's still a heck of a lot that have sure. been animated. Sure. But, it, yeah. Yeah, no, if being this close, uh, I think I was readjusting my uh doctor who dvd uh shelf the other day as i am want to do as a librarian i i have a tendency to rearrange and and recategorize um and i was just looking at even though i don't love how the spines are different from everything else there's something really truly beautiful and wonderful by the fact that this is the doctor who's the only fandom that would do something like this right like the fact that we that it's been around long enough that you could actually get missing episodes animated um and and since we're on the subject we're gonna talk the rest of the program about uh a missing episode that has been animated which is of course evil of the daleks what are you thinking i'm trying to puzzle out a problem victoria the daleks say i'm going to do something for them something i would rather die than do Plus or minus point oh oh three. Plus or minus. Perhaps they think you're like him. Oh, the Daleks know me well enough by this time. They intend to persuade you then. Oh, no, no, it isn't that either. You see, there isn't a persuasion strong enough. Not even the offer of all the lives in this room. I see. Five lives against a whole planet. Well, it's not a choice, is it? No. Even if I could trust the Daleks, even if they set us free, we still couldn't go back to Earth. I suppose I might try and take you all to another universe. I might even try and take you to my own planet. Your own? Yes. Yes, I, I live a long, long way away from Earth. Um, prior to watching this series, had any of you watched 
reconstructions. How? What was your experience with Evil of the Daleks prior to watching this, uh, the release of this animated series? I had certainly listened to a to the audio. I know mm-hmm. I had heard the audio. I I don't think I had actually watched a reconstruction, but I know I had listened to the audio. Yeah, I've done uh, the uh, pilgrimage twice, and both times I went through uh, Evil of the Daleks. I think it was the uh, loose cannon version that I saw. Everything. Absolutely everything. Um, I think my first first introduction to the story was on the BBC cassettes that was released. It has to be in the 1980s. It was a, it was a double double cassette. Colin Baker narrated the um, quite lengthy um, silences in episodes two and three, so he filled in the gaps. Um, BBC then released it again on CD, along with Power of the Daleks, with new narration from Fraser Hines, and I think, I think it was just Fraser Hines, but there may have been someone else there as well. I I can't remember for sure. Um, I I saw this version uh, when it first came out in September last year, and I watched the whole lot in colour animation. And when I knew we were going to be speaking about this, I started watching it again, but in different formats. So uh, I'm I'm now um, quite a long way through the story um, by watching it using the Teddy Snaps option on the on the Blu-ray, and that so far is my favourite way of of watching this. Apart from episode two, of course, because as as you know, I don't watch any alternative version if the original episode still exists which episode two of this story does and it's a really good episode as well it is prior to watching the animated series episode two is the only experience i had with evil of the daleks i I'd never read the books i'd never watched the telesnaps no reconstructions when i did my um original uh run through if it wasn't on dvd i didn't I didn't watch it. I read a brief synopsis, but it was one of those things where I, I thought, well, you know, eventually I'll collect all the target novelizations. And of course, uh, the Dalek episodes are the ones that, that, that didn't make it per se. There, there's versions of those out there. Um, but I had watched episode two. In fact, uh, thanks to uh, my iPhone, it, I can tell you the exact date I watched it. I watched it on November 12th of 2017 at 9.06 p.m., <laughs> um, which was... Um, Long Island Who 4 had just finished and that was the year that Deb Watling had passed away mm-hmm. and uh, I was invited to a screening of the episode which they had on an original film reel and I watched it in a room full of people who had worked with with her um, and I was actually sitting next to uh, um, uh, where's Hussein uh, and and watching it and like I'm just watching a video of, of just kind of like I did a 360 of everyone who was in the room uh, and just everyone just entranced and I had forgotten about the fact that I was familiar with the episode until episode two started playing and I recognized the audio and I kind of was just like oh right like I've seen this <laughs> it was very cool um, so yeah um, all right before I want before I get everyone's opinions of this story. I am curious, for those of you who did watch the animated uh, DVD, did you watch it in black or white or color? <laughs> All of the above. I I watched the first, uh, the first episode in black and white, second episode live action, third episode black and white, and then I think I did color for the last four, so kind of sampled each as we went through. Cool. I watched it in color. Just because. Color for me, too. Yeah. I hit play and it just played all of them in black and white. So um, <laughs> I it wasn't until it ended. I was like, that was really good. And I, I picked up the DVD and I flipped it over and I saw that there was color. Uh, all the images <laughs> were color. I didn't realize that was even an option. Um, so there you go. Uh, and I and I skipped episode two's actual uh, and just wanted to get the experience of what it looked like in, in as an animated piece. Mm. So, all right. Well, overall... What did you think of Evil of the Dogs? Where does it stand um, in your opinion? I guess we, I, we're probably going to want to talk about where it stands as an animated feature, where it stands as a Doctor Who story, where it stands as a Doctor story, and where it stands as a Troughton story. Um, 
You don't have to give all of those at the same time. That sounded but, uh, very complicated. <laughs> and, you, and you don't. I would just, that's sort of what I, like, thinking this, about This will it, be your seven episode episode of Who and Company. <laughs> Some people just went, wait, we're doing what now? Click. And that's when we lost our audience. No, it just, well, it just, I, I want to hear James before I talk because I want to rebut what he's going to say. I already know that. <laughs> God, honestly, par for the course then. Thanks ever so much. Um, well, which, which, which one of those aspects would you like me to focus on first, Drew? Um, I mean, what do you think of Evil the Dogs just as a story in general? Okay, as, as a story in I general. I didn't have to then. go into a whole lot of detail. I just like, as, do, you, do you like it? Yeah. Cool, Brent. <laughs> thumbs up, on. thumbs down, Siskel and Ebert. Yes, <laughs> thumbs up. All right, Michelle. Yes, but I didn't think John was going to say, uh, John, I didn't think James was going to say yes. John Husband, uh, James co-host. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right, keeping those straight. <laughs> all right, well, that's yeah. been our review of Evil of the Daleks. Thumbs up. <laughs> Lovely to be here. Four thumbs up. <laughs> all right i i i do think it's um an okay story uh, but it you know we've mentioned it's it's seven parts already and uh there are some stories that benefit from a longer running time over several weeks and some that don't and and, and for me this is not a brilliant doctor who story um i really very much enjoy the first two episodes um and when they go back in time um, which is 10 minutes actually into episode two uh, but it, you know, the boredom for me really kicks in in episode three it continues all the way through until they leave and go to Scaro for the final two episodes and they that's when you see all of the iconic images from evil of the daleks that you realize you've seen in comics and there's been spin-offs from and and, and really reflects the reason as to why this story has got the reputation within fandom that it that it has uh, but for me, I really enjoyed the first two episodes. Um, just just as a bit of a contrast, when um, Airlock, so episode three of Galaxy 4 was found 10, 12 years or so ago, it was probably the most boring episode from the most boring story. Okay, Episode two of Evil of the Daleks is the opposite. It's probably the best episode of Evil of the Daleks for me. I really enjoy it, and therefore I'm ever so pleased I can see it in its original format. The... Um, the, the rest of the story, for me, um, the most interesting thing is a dynamic between the Doctor and Jamie, um, which is put under the microscope and then <laughs> straight afterwards through the ringer. And, and I like the way in which the story focuses deliberately on the, in, the, the, the dynamic between the two main characters. Uh, I think the remainder of the characters, therefore, suffer a bit. They're all kind of generic old white man kind of thing with the exception of molly dawson who is wonderful and should have a series of her own yeah um but <laughs> uh, but as it stands in in the canon it's certainly not the strongest dalek story um it's different because they thought at the time this was going to be the last dalek story mm. and whittaker was writing um writing their exit essentially and, and again, they didn't really turn up in a full story after this until Pertwee's era in Day of the Daleks, I think. I think they must have used the same Daleks, actually, Dalek props in Day of the Dalek as they did in Evil, because they looked terrible in Day of the Daleks. But on on the whole, it's it's okay. Um, it's definitely a rite of passage for a Doctor Who fan. You have to experience Evil of the Dalek in some form. And now that you've got the animated option available to, I think, really, between that and the Telesnap version, which is brilliant, incidentally, on this disc, absolutely brilliant, even the Telesnaps, where you've got an image of a Dalek, they've decided to illuminate the Dalek lights on the head with a speech. So it's not just an old photograph on the screen. Mm -hmm. It's a photograph on the screen with the lights flashing as well. Um it, it, that level of care has been taken on this release in general and it's made the story as watchable as I think it can possibly be Michelle how about you? Yeah I uh, James and I had exchanged must have been at least a week ago um, a brief text where I got the impression that he was not enjoying going through it again so I'm, I'm glad to hear that and I watched it as you recommend, Drew, and I'm also a believer in watching one episode at a time. Um, I did about one a day. Sometimes there was a day in between that. but um, And I really enjoyed it. 
I, I enjoyed the story. I, you know, it's, it, I don't know that it is an outstanding, amazing, you know, top of the line story, but it was a very serviceable story. Um, and, and enough change in what happens from the first couple episodes to what happens in the middle to what happens at the end that I didn't mind the seven episode length too much, particularly when you, when you watch them one at a time. Um, I did enjoy the doctor and Jamie. I thought the doctor was in some very interesting dilemmas in terms of being manipulated into working with the Daleks, uh, and yet... Towards the end of the story, there is a moment when he says, what they're asking me to do is not something I can do, even if it costs the lives of everyone in this room. Um, that is not a price, you know, that's a price I'm willing to pay in order to not let the, doc the Daleks get what they want. Um, so I thought there was some interesting character exploration for the Doctor and almost a little more introspection from the Doctor's perspective than we, we often get into that character, which I enjoyed. I wish, I do wish more of the episodes existed so we could actually see Patrick Troughton doing that. The downside for me, and I think James was probably right about other characters suffering, um, I have yet to be impressed with Victoria uh, as a character. And so, you know, I don't care much for those scenes. I, I was glad that finally, by the end of the episode, she was taking a little bit of agency and saying, well, hey, we have to resist, we have to defend, you know, how can we escape? Because she did none of that, of course, for the first five episodes. Uh, but still, I, I think she's probably one of my least favorite companions, certainly one of my least favorite companions, although maybe I need to, to see more of, of, of what she's done. But all in all, I enjoy, you know, it's interesting, I really enjoyed the, the episodes that were set in the house. Um, when we get to the final two episodes, which are interesting, they get so loud and chaotic um, that I am less, I don't know, less enamored of them maybe than in the more gentle mystery that unfolds with the, with the human factor and how's that going to play out. Um, I actually do think I liked the story better this time than I did when I listened to it on audio probably because my expectations were set. I knew I knew what was going to happen. And um, I think where I thought the human factor may have been a little silly the, on first listen, this time through ex expecting it, I thought, no, I could, I could see that. That makes sense. If you, you've got an enemy, namely the humans, that have consistently defeated you, why wouldn't you explore what it is about them that, that uh, makes them tricky to, to defeat? And I could see where the doctor given the role that Daleks insisted that he play, could could distill the the elements of the human factor that he did. Um, so yeah, I, I, I bought into the whole logic of the thing more this time than I think I did the first time. So I, I found it enjoyable. How about you, Brent? Uh, well, like I said, I watched this on uh, Reconstruction, Loose Cannon, maybe a couple of times, and it was it was okay. But having seen the whole story here animated, where you can actually watch things move, um, it was uh, a lot better this time. I was actually to, able to pay more attention to the story. Um, overall, I really liked it. It is slow moving. It could have easily been done in six parts instead of seven. Um, Victoria is locked up until episode five. <laughs> so, But I really like the Daleks. They're shown to be very manipulative in here by finding ways to get everyone to do what they want uh they got the doctor's tardis which motivates him maxtable is the bad guy who wants the formula formula to turn metal into gold and he got waterfield persuaded because they're holding his daughter prisoner but he's also benefiting from selling old relics in his antique shop so um but yeah like you said uh, the human factor that was my favorite part um the doctor discovers that for the Daleks and watching them play and giving them names, uh, having them question their authority. Um, that was really cool. Um, not happy about Kimmel dying uh, and Maxtable not dying, uh, <laughs> that I could tell anyway. Uh, but I, I, I'm pretty sure they did that because had Kimmel lived, he would have taken care of Victoria and they needed her to be all alone to travel into TARDIS, so mm -hmm. I'm, that was, I'm sure that was necessary. I had a problem with Camel, I have to say. 
it, it, it just such a stereotypical character uh, and, and casting. And uh, if you look at Toberman in Tomb of the Cybermen and then you realise in a running order Tomb of the Cybermen follows this story, then they've basically just got their cookie cutter template for large black henchmen. And that, that was... Just, it's difficult watching it now, um, but... I don't know whether or not anyone would have paid a second thought about it back in 1967, um, but it does stand out now. Yeah, I mean, you know how I feel about Dalek stories in general. Uh, and I think um, Evil the Daleks is better than it has any right to be. Like, I was watching this and I was engaged more or less the entire time. Um, uh, I, I think we're all more or less right. I, I think Brent... Um, I think it, if it had been six episodes, it would have been fine. Um, but I don't think it could have been any shorter than that. I think it actually delivers something unique in every one of its acts. Um, we have a mystery, we have the the test, and we have Scarrow. And they're pretty filled. And I agree that as, as far as Troughton and Jamie's um, relationship, it's an interesting exploration of who the Doctor is, who the companion is, and what the relationship is. Um, and I keep on forgetting and, it, and this is on me. I keep on forgetting how good the pairing of the Trout and Doctor and and Jamie are. You know, like I, when I think of the classic series and I think of what we consider to be a proto New Who kind of relationship, you're always thinking Seventh Doctor and Ace. But Jamie and the Second Doctor are fabulous together. Um, it is a relationship that is complex and it is well explored and. Uh, it's a shame that we don't... I mean, clearly it's a shame we don't have the original episodes that we can see, you know, Fraser and Trout acting together. Um, but, yeah, I, I I, was engaged with this story. There was a... Uh, because having not read it and not knowing what was supposed to happen, I didn't know what the story beats were going to be. So, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, I mean, clearly the two main... The three main parts that I, I did disliked is... Victoria is essentially useless. She's a damsel. Mm. Um, if you didn't know that she was going to be a companion, she's just playing the typical dam damsel part, and that's unfortunate. Absolutely. But it makes sense narratively. It's like, oh, you have to save my daughter. Well, if she's not going to be all that important, why show her? It, you know, clearly, if they were doing a modern story, she would have a little bit more agency. Camel is almost unforgivable, but immediately likable. Um, mm. And it's just like, oh. They are casting a black man and not allowing him to speak. How very 1960s. Um, <laughs> his his dress as a Turkishman, um, those pointed shoes. I just I just got angry when he came on. Um, but I also thought for sure Jamie was going to kill him somehow in defeating him, or the dogs were going to zap him in like episode three or four. The fact that he. Again, hey, spoilers for Evil of the Daleks. Mm. Um, <laughs> he makes it all the way basically to the last five minutes because you're absolutely right. Had he lived, Victoria's not traveling with him. Like, they got... Actually, their relationship was really good. Mm -hmm. And I really mm -hmm. like that scene mm -hmm. of them in the prison together where um, they're having that kind of back and forth and he lightens her spirits. And it's like, no, this this that relationship really works um yeah. and i was just like oh there's no way he can live i mean there's just mm. none <laughs> like, well they, i i wish i wish he had and i wish therefore victoria had been left behind and the second doctor <laughs> era would therefore have been defined by the doctor kemmel and molly because that would yeah. have been a really <laughs> yeah, really yeah, good yeah, TARDIS team. <clears throat> yeah you know, and, molly and, is fabulous and, and i agree that I tended to kind of cringe when with Kemmel because of the stereotype, but they did undermine the stereotype in a good way a little bit in that he 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 lasted all the way up until the end. He had this yeah. genuine relationship with Victoria and with Jamie. He and Jamie bonded despite the fact that he couldn't speak. There were dialogues, there was communication and conversations that were happening which which uh, you know, I appreciate. He certainly was shown as someone who had feelings and opinions and, and um, nobility. Um, and so, whereas he could have been probably an even more horrible stereotype by just getting killed off or just being a thug or, you know, he wasn't. He was an extremely sympathetic character that you did care about and that you were kind of rooting for and that 
had influence on what was happening and on the characters around him. So I, I at least appreciate that, and that for me kind of salvages uh, the character uh, a bit, uh, even while going, we certainly wouldn't. I, I don't know if it salvages this. it enough, to be honest with you. I mean, it, it depends. If, if we're talking about degrees of bad, then yes, oh, yeah. it's not as bad <laughs> as it could have been, but it's still pretty bad as far mm-hmm. as I'm concerned. Um, uh, one of the things that Drew mentioned that I, I really agree with uh, is, um, is the slight nuance on the relationship between the Doctor and Jamie. Uh, yes, it's under the microscope here, but this is the first time, as far as I can really recall, you've got an example of the Doctor manipulating his companion. So mm-hmm. he doesn't tell Jamie um, exactly what he's up to. Um, and again, very similar way to, you know, the way Ace figures it out in the Seventh Doctor era. Jamie figures this out, and he's none too pleased about it. And I, and I like the fact that you've got that that template which was revisited later on, probably by pure coincidence rather than design. But that was, as far as I'm concerned, pretty revolutionary in Doctor Companion dynamics. Yeah. I mean, again, don't love the Daleks, but if I am going to enjoy a Dalek story, it's usually these Daleks. This is the manipulative Daleks, the ones who have some intelligence, and the fact that the Doctor thinks he's got it figured out, and then, you know is told, no, no, it's not about the human factor. It's about the Dalek factor. We've been playing you the entire time, and the look on his face, even animated, I was just like, oh, you know, like, where where are these Daleks in Modern Who? <laughs> oh, right, we get to see them in the first act of each one of the New Year's specials, and then they get tricked or killed or, yeah. Um, no, um, smart, uh, a few smart manipulative Daleks, I think, would have gone... Um, a, a much like a, a long way from my enjoyment of yeah. them as the kind of number one threat to the doctor versus the you know like you know because like if if it's between that the cyberman and the master i'm i'm, all, I'm always going to be team master right because like yeah if we suddenly you know i was about to say if the master were somehow to clone themselves imagine how bad that would be but never mind we've we've seen that um I I, th- I think also out of that list that you just rattled off there, it's not just the fact that the Daleks are scheming and manipulative and interesting. It's the fact that you've got comedy Daleks here as well. Whereas <laughs> the other villains, you don't get comedy master. Uh, you get hammy, campy, pantomime uh, master, but not not comedy in in the way that these uh, these Daleks uh, were were deliberately portrayed in a in a funny light. And certainly when you come um, into the Big Finish canon and the Big Finish world, when they do comedy Daleks, it's hilarious. And my, my daughter, who's now 13, can't believe she's a teenager, but, um, you know, I, I had tried to indoctrinate her into Doctor Who um, from a very young age, and um, it all went wrong uh, when she was about 9, nine ten years old. But the one thing that she will still have time for and still watch is sketches when Daleks are funny. And there was a um, there was a little video. It was a news item actually um, that that videoed or followed someone who was videoing a Dalek walking up and down a promenade at Blackpool. Um, you know, real Blackpool. It's not just a uh, a place in um, Revelation of the Daleks. It actually exists. <laughs> um, and the uh, the Dalek was walking up and down the seafront, uh, saying, "I would like an ice cream." And Natasha <laughs> found that hilarious and so there is something about Daleks when they are not cobbled uh, in in terms of their behaviours or their motives or or, um, or the stories that they're in that is very very wide reaching in terms of its appeal well let's talk a little bit about the actual animation itself I I think it's the best yet Um, there are a lot of quiet moments in the story, like we said, with people walking around and whatever. And being able to see something moving on screen makes the whole thing more interesting. And um, I think there were a lot of shots in this where it was uh, like a, a swooping ca- camera shot around the house one time. I think it was in the first, first or second episode. And um, some of those scenes that they did looked really realistic. They did a great job, I thought. I'm reading everything. 
every time there is a box or a poster or a car, I'm reading the yeah. number plate, I'm reading the product name, in case there's an Easter egg there. It's hmm. very exhausting. <laughs> Especially in that first, uh, it was either the first or second part where Jamie and the doctor are are, um, uh, are in that hangar and they come out and there's all those posters yeah. on the side of the wall with for concerts and That's different right. things. Yeah, which I which I went through and I didn't see anything obvious, but certainly within the airport hangar in episode one, there's a whole range of products called Hickman, Sun and Carruther. I yeah. don't know if that's so one now. That might have been in the original footage. I, I've no idea, but obviously, I'm just thinking Clayton Hickman. That's what I was thinking too. I'm wondering if that was a, if that was in the original or not, or if it was about him. Did I didn't see any magpie um, <laughs> advertisements? Did anybody see? Because they normally stick uh, stick a magpie electronics the uh, in in the radio in episode one. Um, you, it looks like an old Roberts radio. Don't right. know if you have them in America, but I'm not sure because the the lettering is obscured, and it okay. could be Magpie using the same font. That makes sense. Well, I think that the animation has gotten progressively better on these. I remember sort of struggling with the animation in some of the very early releases, um, whereas. I much more enjoy watching these now, so so I'd say two thumbs up for the animation. Mm. And I watched it both in color and in and, and black and white, and uh, enjoyed both. Well, one after the other. Well, yes. I mean, like I said, not. I said I watched the first few episodes. Oh, of course. Uh, Sorry. In black yes. and white, and then uh, switched to color for the the remainder. Mm. But I I'll, both were both were great. I'll watch some in color. Um, I, I, things with Doctor Who is I haven't really been uh, in the last couple of years I haven't really felt the desire to just go back and watch old Doctor Who um, and and certainly the animated ones watching it for the podcast makes sense but I don't think I would go back and rewatch them and I, and I haven't for any of them though I think the Faceless Lums would probably be the one that I would go back and, and rewatch because I just absolutely loved that story um, I think I just, the reason I bring that up is I don't know if I could say for sure that I feel that the animation has gotten better. I mean, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it has because we all get better. We always improve. Um, the animation was fine, but what I thought was really impressive were um, the use of CGI, uh, the computer animation in it. Um, so, like, as Brent said, that, that swooping house shot in episode two, mm. um, the dust motes. Oh yeah, include. I was gonna mention that. Lot, yeah, that was pretty interesting. Like, really, like it's amazing how much a little bit of blurry dust motes adds to the atmosphere of it. Um, when Kemmel throws the rope up and is climbing up, and there's a little bit of dust coming down because of that. Like those little touches. Anytime the Daleks were, were a distant shot, or we get multiple Daleks, or the Daleks are turning, and it's clearly a computer model versus. 2D model. Uh, I, I thought were fantastic. There's one shot, it's an overhead shot where they're looking down, I think it's in Scarrow, and the Dalek is moving through a corridor and we're looking above them, but the corridor is dark and the lights on the Dalek are kind of shining out. Yeah. It's really well done. I think the mm. Emperor Dalek is really cool because as the Dalek moves, the booming voice actually causes the... Um, the cables attached to it to quiver slightly and it's not because it's moving it's because the voice is so loud that the cables are actually swaying from side to side so it's little flourishes like that seeing Whitaker's name um uh on the the heraldic scroll on the walls of the the mansion uh in a couple in during the sword fight scene was a little distracting because I was like oh clever um no I think they I mean it it beats not having it and I think for, for what we're getting, uh, for what it's probably costing, I, I think it's excellent. And I oh, just, yeah. I love yeah. the fact that we have access to this, which is why, like, you know, this rumor of not being able to get the rest of them when the light at the end of the tunnel seems so close uh, is really problematic and, and a kind of a bummer. It is, it is a pity. Um, but as I said, I hope, I hope that that is just a, a scare uh, for, mm-hmm. for the time being. Um, just, just a quick note about your comment about the computer scenes mm-hmm. uh, which generally don't feature any of the 
human characters. Uh, they're just the Dalek ones. They've they've inserted those into the Telesnap versions as well, and again just turned it all black and white completely. Mm-hmm. I mean, and uh, it just they just slot in brilliantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, it just it just offers another way to watch this story. And uh, despite the fact the animation has definitely improved over the years, and this is brilliant. This is it's very, very good as far as I'm concerned. And obviously, the vast majority of people who watch these things are not connoisseurs of animation and they don't know the difference between um, one form of animation and another. I'm certainly in that bracket. It works well enough for me. Um, but if, if you're the view that the animations are the best way to watch the episodes that are still missing then you're never going to get anything that beats what's on offer here uh, but for me it still doesn't come close uh, to the uh, to the teddy snaps i really enjoy the teddy snaps or the reconstructions well i didn't watch the teddy snaps on this one yet i i would echo that i love the teddy snap reconstructions i've i mm. found those very helpful uh, and and very watchable I think the only one that I, I have seen are the telesnaps is Marco Polo. Right. Um, uh, which were, it was good. It was good. But uh, I have a little bit of an attention disorder, and it's very <laughs> difficult for me to watch static images over long periods of time. Uh, I would much rather just listen to the discussion than see it. Yeah. And, and just so the listeners know, James is enhancing this experience by <laughs> dancing for us via zoom so thank you you have my attention sir it works on <laughs> audio doesn't it <laughs> <laughs> that's more rhythmic too <laughs> well uh is there anything else about this story that you want to mention before we let everybody go i, I will mention one thing um uh, in, in my list of various different um releases uh, that I come out with at the beginning of the episode the one thing I missed off is the virgin book the original virgin book by uh, John Peel which you may or may not have uh, have seen I think it was one of two or three stories uh, that were released by virgin and it was a much much more expanded version of the story than the target novelizations and I I didn't know it at the time when I bought it because I still got a copy of it but that was um, yeah still at home in my parents loft unless they've had a clear out and if they have then I'll send them a bill uh, because I know how much it's (laughs) worth these days Uh, but that was probably the introduction for me um, to Doctor Who books and I remember thinking this is incredible. Uh, and it had a picture of the Dalek, or the Emperor Dalek, uh, on the cover, which, again, looked strange. It was a different Dalek to the one that you'd seen on TV, because clearly never seen evil on TV. And uh, the whole thing was, um, it just really helped uh, me get into to Doctor Who on the written page. But I, I love that book, too. Uh, well, does anybody have anything, any projects that they're working on that they want to plug before we let you go? Not so much a project, uh, but something that you already know about, but uh, listeners may not. Uh, we have our annual predictions episode coming up on the DWP uh, over the next couple of weeks. We've yet to record it, which is where we look into the campervan's crystal ball and <laughs> come up with some wild predictions. And if Drew's going to take part this year, which I believe you are, Drew, are you not? I am, and I, I want uh, I want to assure all listeners that my predictions will be um, based on fact and well researched. Uh, <laughs> They're going to be ludicrous, aren't they? You can. <laughs> you have <laughs> no idea. The doctor will regenerate into a pot plant. <laughs> I, I was going to say we're probably going to have a lot more chumblies involved in these predictions than you're probably comfortable with. <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, that's the only thing that we've got planned at the moment. But to be honest with you, plans are something we take a very flexible approach to on a DWP. So there's nothing that I can really say uh, beyond that already. Other than Michelle will not be on that episode because Michelle doesn't like predicting things. <laughs> just, just, just. I predict that Michelle will make a guest appearance on our predictions <laughs> panel. That would be wonderful. With a prediction so incredible it will shake the very foundation of fandom well that prediction will go the route of all our other predictions over (laughs) the years and probably be wrong (laughs) oh but i look forward to hearing the predictions episode it's always one of my favorite 
I'm actually looking forward to going back and re-listening to our predictions that we made at the beginning of 2021 because I, I remember who was on that show and I know Brent you joined us um, mm-hmm. I think it was was it Phil and Ian I can't recall now but yeah. um, uh, I can't remember what it was that we said and I certainly can't remember as to whether or not they were right at all or whether it was a complete wipeout across the board but that will be that will be fun I think Ian said that there was going to be a six-part Doctor Who special and that he was going to love every single episode (laughs) on it. Yeah. He's still angry, you know. He's still angry. I can feel it from here. (laughs) So all that's left to say then is Who and Company, come for the fandom. Stay for the company. Thanks for joining us at Who and Company. Special shout out to Pixel Who for providing our logo. They can be found at facebook.com slash pixelwho. Who and Company can be found on iHeartRadio.com and Spotify. Or you can download the show directly from whoandcompany.libsyn.com. Contact us on Twitter at whoandcompany. Support the show at patreon.com slash whoandcompany. Or email us at whoandcompany at yahoo.com. Thanks, and see you next month. James, are you... You've seen the band James multiple times, right? Oh, um, probably more than any other bands at all. Yes. Have you been there to witness their sound check singing "My Lovely Horse" from Father Ted? No. <laughs> <laughs> and now you've made me feel as though I've missed out. I haven't. I mean, I haven't either because I've never seen them live. But apparently, they for a while that was how they did their sound check was singing "Lovely Horse." Right. Okay. No. No. I've never seen any one sound check i've only been to to the gigs themselves and some of them very close to where i live i'm practically the middle of london kentish town forum which they've played at loads of times is less than a 15 minute walk from my house and uh, i literally just go in there miss all the warm-up and gotcha. just go upstairs and, and watch them from when they come on because they tell you when they're going to come on stage now the main act and That's they cool. are absolutely brilliant um they're performing on Hampstead Heath, actually, in the summer, which I've not bought tickets to yet. Um, I think I probably will. And they're performing with Happy Mondays. I don't know whether that's a band you've either heard of or are interested. If you uh, I had a cassette of Happy mm. Mondays from like 89 or something like that. <laughs> they yeah, had one, they had right. one hit here. <laughs> well, it's probably one more than they deserved. Um, it's a shame they've been paired <laughs> up with um, with James because I I, I like James uh, millions of percents. If that even made any mathematical sense, more than I do Happy Mondays. I mean, but they're um they're of the same era, you know, and uh, they they clearly get on well together as uh, as, as individuals. Mondays. Weren't Happy mm. Mondays the one that did the cover of I'm Free from the Stones? Uh, yes, I think so. I'm free to that's, do what I want. Yeah, any old that's time. what it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll save you me singing for now. So their only hit was not their own anyway. <laughs> well, they, they probably had more, but I've just not followed them in all honesty. I mean, everyone knows Bez, the dancer. He's the most, he's the one who's had the longest legacy and he didn't sing and he didn't play any instruments other than maracas. He was just generally stoned <laughs> out of his brain and he was the formal Happy Mondays dancer called bez and he's he's been on reality tv shows how he's forged a career out of doing nothing other than shaking maracas <laughs> it's actually really well i'm quite envious to be honest <laughs> so. we're leaving all this in by the way this <laughs> <laughs> is how the episode's gonna start and then the music's gonna it's gonna be a five minute cold open <laughs> talking about James and Happy Mondays, and then the yeah. music hits. Yeah. Please, yeah. Brent, do not allow that to happen. <laughs> <laughs> no, I may tag it on to the end. I don't know. After right, I there... hit record, I just assume anything's fair game. So. <laughs> All right, everybody, ready? Happy New Year! Every year, this. Well, let me try that again. <laughs> <laughs> We're off to a good start. <laughs>